Now, if you have your Bible with you, please turn to the book of Colossians as we continue the series that we started last week. Today we'll be reading from Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 through to chapter 2 verse 5. Colossians 1 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Good morning, good morning, good morning, brothers and sisters, and welcome once again to another church service online with Grace Christian Church. Actually, I was thinking, because we're coming up to Mother's Day next week, be good to your mums, that's always a blessing. Um, but I was thinking about mothers and, and just the strength that mothers, actually that parents have in general, especially for their children. I can recall when, when Emily was in hospital and how, how Griselda she just had this superhuman endurance to be there for her and to support not only Emily, but also the rest of us within the family. I recall when my little brother was playing in a softball tournament uh, and, and a guy, a grown man, knocked, uh, knocked him over. And he was only maybe about 13 or 14 at the time, knocked over. And my mum, my mum lost it. And she showed great concern for the health and safety of her son. It's just a concern that's shown by a parent to their child, which I think is really valuable. And the reason why I, I make mention of such concern is because today's passage that Cass read out for us today, coming from Colossians chapter 1 and moving into Colossians chapter 2, uh, R. Kent Hughes makes an observation regarding that passage, saying of all the passages within the book of Colossians, that passage is the one that is most personal, the one where he expresses the most concern for the people of God for the church and for the gospel. It's one of the most personal passages out there. And because what's communicated in this passage is the, the, the attitude, is the, is the direction, is the desire that Paul has for this church. And you see this evident in what he says in the passage from verses 1 to 5 of chapter 2. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer and then we're going to look into the word together to express not only express, but to draw from Paul's example, the concern for the things of God, the concern in Christ. So let's join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your grace. And we thank you now we have the opportunity to spend some time in the word now. Please minister to our hearts. Please speak to us. Please change us. Give us eyes to hear, uh, sorry, eyes to see ears to hear and a heart to respond. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So there are three very important theological truths that we can look at, but your homework, your homework is to see how these three theological truths can be applied and lived out in your life and in your specific context. Now, the first of which, the first of which, the first point we're going to look at is in verse 1. 
And, and it's basically to contend, to contend. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. The word contend is a verb. It's an action that means to struggle, to, to strive, to, to compete with. Uh, I like to use the word to fight, to fight. Paul states quite clearly in verse 1 how hard he fought for these believers. On behalf of these believers, he contended, he struggled for them, he competed for the church and for the believers at Laodicea, as well as people that didn't even meet him, which actually includes you and I, which, which raises for me this immediate question. How? How did Paul fight so hard for these believers? How did he contend for them, for their welfare and for their benefit? Now, remember, he, he is under house arrest. He is imprisoned at Rome at this time. He couldn't physically be there. That, that actually sounds quite familiar, doesn't it? He couldn't physically be there, and yet he, he fights for them. He, he contends for them. He, he, people only probably knew him by association through Epaphras and through several others, others that may have known who he was, but he was actively involved in their welfare. He is actively involved in their growth. How? Well, two ways. One, he maximized the avenue made available to him to its greatest effect, that of prayer. He prayed for them. He contended. He stood up and fought. He strived boldly for this church by being on his knees in prayer. Colossians chapter 1 verse 3, we read, we always thank God when we pray for you. Chapter 1, verse 9. We have not stopped praying for you. The fact that the believer, that we are not limited in helping others by walls or by distance or by physical limitations, but rather through thoughtful, through specific, through considerate prayer, we can have an impact on the lives of others. The problem we face is, as Tony Evans describes it, for many of us as Christians, prayer is viewed like the national anthem sung before a sporting event. It's what you do, but it has no bearing on the game. That's how a lot of us view prayer. In other words, we do it, and, and it's acknowledgement of divine authority, but we doubt its effectiveness. And that, in part, is because we are limited in our vision of God. We are limited in our perception of his ways and we are limited in our understanding of prayer. Prayer is so much more than just petition. It's so much more than just asking for stuff. It is communion with God. It is a mutual involvement with him. It is an interaction. Prayer consists of petition. Yes, you can do that, but prayer is also Intercession, praying for and on behalf of others too. Prayer is thanksgiving, being grateful and, and just saying thank you to our God for all that he is and for all that he does. Prayer is about praise, about honoring God for all that he does and all he's going to do. Prayer, prayer it goes more than just asking 
It is the recognition. It is the, it is the involvement with him. It is, it is talking with him. I mean, honestly, I, I love it when people just send me a message to say, hello. Imagine just praying and saying, God, morning. What a great day. Thank you for what you've given me. Prayer is just being involved with our Savior, with our Lord. See, these are aspects of prayer, the, the whole idea of, of intercession, of praise, of, of thanksgiving. These all go beyond just asking. It is why we are told to pray continually. First Thessalonians 5.17. It's a privilege that we are given. We are to pray with persistence in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that we, we pray and ought not to give up. Not being anxious, but in prayer and thanksgiving, presenting our requests to God, Philippians 4, 6. And it is how we equip ourselves with the armor of God. And if you read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, you see that with all prayer that, that, is, that is put upon. And if it means we draw up, if it means that we have to draw up a schedule to help us to pray, that, that of what to pray, of, of when to pray, then so be it. If, if physical restrictions can be overcome by prayer, then, then, then we have no excuse not to be, in each other, be involved in each other's lives, to be a benefit and to seek the welfare of each, of, of each other through being on our knees, to contend. And that is, that is one of the things Paul did. How did he contend so hard for them? In prayer, even though he was not physically there. That's one thing we can learn from there. But how else did Paul fight for this church? How else did he invest into their lives? He used what was available to him, which was a pen and a paper. He wrote. He instructed. He encouraged. He exhorted. He corrected. And what he, he could through, he did what he could through the written word, and he blessed them through it. And submission to the Spirit and being in prayer, the Lord can bless and build up others through such an act as this, through writing, through sending a text message, through making a phone call, to writing an email. The impact that the written word can have. I mean, look at the impact that the written word has had upon us. The word of God that has come to us and the spirit of God that uses this word in our lives even now. Never underestimate how God can take something like this to bless others. Do you, do you, remember, do you remember when I asked you to write some letters for me to take to the prison? And to give to the prisoners. I physically saw demeanors change as they read the words that you wrote, that you prayerfully wrote. Man, you, you may not even prayerfully have written them. You might have just followed the template, wrote it down and thought, there you go. May God use that. Well, I'll tell you what God did. God used that in the lives of people that impressed them where I could see, see criminals, where I could see criminals brought to tears that God showed showed them the love that he has for them through what you wrote. That's, that's what was available to Paul. That was what was available to you. And that's what impressed and impacted the lives of others. Yes, we're separated. Yes, we're socially distancing. But we can still have an impact with what God has made available to us exactly the way he made it available to Paul to pray and to somehow write and be involved through, through, through just interaction, through communication. 
Now, we have so many more avenues available to us, whether it be online in the here and now, whether it be sending a text, whether it be writing an email, whether it be even writing a handwritten letter, which reminds me, I remember Emily. Emily received a letter after everything that happened with her. Emily received a letter from one of her high school friends who, who wrote a handwritten letter. I think it was three pages, a handwritten letter to my daughter. And now, I don't know how Emily felt about that, but I was greatly encouraged. I was greatly encouraged that someone took the time and took the effort to write by hand how much she felt the love for Emily and was expressed through that. I mean, if God can use a beast of burden for his purposes to speak to Balaam, if God can use a young boy's lunch to feed the multitudes, uh, imagine what God could do through a person who writes a short note to say how much that, that they care for someone else or that they're praying for someone else, or that they're involved with someone else. As I shared before, never underestimate when, what God can do when an act, when a deed, when a gift, when a word is willingly offered to bless others in the name of Jesus. That is how we can fight. That is how we contend, while well, being apart, contend for each other. Now, I told you the illustration of my mum and my wife and, and what they were willing to do for the person that they love or that they care for. My mum for, for my, my little brother Frank, my, my wife for my daughter Emily. And I think part of the reasons why we don't contend or why we don't fight for things outside of our own individual families is maybe because we, we don't see either the value or the importance of others in our lives. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's just, I didn't write that down. I'm just thinking out loud at the moment. But I do know this. When something really matters to me, I'll fight for it. When something's really important to me, I'll contend. When something means a lot, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. And so I pray that God will stir our hearts to see the value of what we have in the church of Jesus Christ, what we have in each other, in our friendships, in our families, in our interactions with one another, that we would, we would not only fight for it, but we'd be concerned and, and, and loving enough to, to fight for it because it's important to us. You're important to me. The church, the church is important to each other and is necessary for each other. So that's the first thing, to contend. The, the second point that he makes, or the second truth that he makes available is, is the direction. Because he says, like, it's, so basically it's to contend for the goal. To contend for the goal. Verses 2 and 3 says this. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The goal is twofold. And what I find interesting is that the goal is twofold for the whole church. It's necessary for the whole church. He says twice in that passage that they may know that they may benefit, that they may grow. And in living out these goals, it results in the church receiving greater knowledge and intimacy with the Lord Jesus. The first thing that he desires that they may know is that they may be encouraged in heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to be encouraged in heart? I think encouragement, I mean, when you receive encouragement, encouragement is about uplifting. The encouragement is about building up. It's about nurturing. It's about strengthening. Encouragement, encouragement is about support. 
and being enabled to stand, but to stand on that which lasts. That's what encouragement is. Encouraged in heart is about being uplifted, built up, nurtured and strengthened inwardly by reliance and trust in the person of Christ. Not, not on the outward circumstances, not on the situations that surround us. It is the inward renewal that occurs resulting in the outward change. Corporately as a church, not as individuals, corporately as a church. Meaning that, that meaning what governs my conduct, what secures my position is, is not how I feel or, or if I see a sign. It is grounded in the word of God and in the promises that he has made. But it's something that we, we have together as a church, not just as individuals. Encouraged, encouraged because God is, is faithful. Encouraged be, because God cannot lie. Encouraged because God delivers on his promises. Encouraged, encouraged because God is ever present with us. Uh, if you're doing the Gideon uh, Sunday school lessons, my wife shared a wonderful lesson from, from the story of Gideon for me and how Gideon was always asking for signs, whether it be to, to wet the fleece and, and to dry, keep the outside dry, whether it be to, to keep out, uh, the fleece dry and wet outside. And, and he was constantly asking for signs. And, and whilst my wife was learning, she said, she said wow, have I, have I regressed so much in my faith where I've got to be looking for signs all the time? As opposed, to be li- as opposed to be living on the promises. A person mature in their faith is not one who is always looking for a sign, but rather looking for the Savior. One that trusts in the Savior and in the promises He has made, as opposed to looking for a sign to confirm something that you know you should be doing. Or you know how you should be living. But, but in all honesty, in all honesty, does that not encourage you in heart, knowing who God is and knowing what God has done? But that's the first thing that that Paul is asking for this church, for for us, that we may know. First begins that we are encouraged in heart. The second is that we're united in love, that we are of one mind, that we are of one heart with the love of Jesus, not as individuals, but as a church. Seeing how he sees, doing what he did, loving how he loves and hating what he hates. If you remember last week, I shared from Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, and it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I like that. The law of Christ is fulfilled as we bear one another's burdens. What is the law of Christ? I I refer to 1 Corinthians. In the verse Corinthians 12, when he says, I will show you a better way. The law of Christ is the law of love. The law of love is reflected in 1 Corinthians 13, but, but more specifically, the law of love that is revealed in the person of Christ, how it's communicated biblically, how it's revealed specifically. It's, it's not the definition of love of how Hollywood puts it and, and what love is. It's, it's the love that's committed. It's the love that endures. It's the love that perseveres. The love that is patient, the love that is kind, the love that doesn't envy, the love that doesn't boast. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 8, those, that's, that's the love that we are to be having. The love as communicated in the life and in the teaching and the act of the Lord Jesus. So if we are united as a church, if we are if united as a church and, and, and we're encouraged in heart, if we're united as a church and, and we're united in love, 
these two things are like, are like the steps of preparation. It's like the preheating of an oven before you bake a cake. It's like the, the, the varnishing, the, varnish, the, the sanding of, of timber before you, before you varnish it. It's the preparation in order to receive or in order to best receive the appropriate treatment. Thus being encouraged in heart and being united in love, uh, the preparation as a church for us to best receive what Paul describes as the full riches of complete understanding in order to know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Being encouraged in heart as a church, being united in love as a church enables us to not only see but also experience the, the greatness and the richness of who God is in the person of Christ. We know the greatness of Jesus' love because it's expressed through how you treat me and how I treat you. You know the fullness of his mercy because it's expressed in how you treat me and how I treat you. It's expressed in how a parent, a loving, godly parent, loves their children. It is how uh, children, loving, godly children, submit to their parents. That's the fullness of who God is as manifest through us because that's the reality that is present with us. That we as a church know Jesus. That we know his heart, we know his standards, we know his values, we know his likes, we know his dislikes. If we are the body of Christ, then we would respond to him who is the head of the body and react to sin, to disobedience, to the lost and to, the, to, the, to each other as the head governs. That's the fullness of, of who he is that's manifest in the body of Christ. You see, the goal Paul was ultimately fighting for here was so that they as a church would come to know Jesus as a whole, as expressed within the church. And you know what that tells me? You know what that tells me? That, that, that Jesus Christ, that the love of God, that the message of the gospel, that the power of God unto salvation is to be seen and experienced in and through the church, in and through you. In accordance to his word, you are, as the church, the city on the hill. You are, as the church, the bearers of light, the carriers of hope. So people will see God's love. People can be freed from darkness and people can be delivered from despair. That's what Paul is contending for. Contending for the goal. Going on to the third point. To contend for the goal and be established in him. Verses 4 and 5 says this. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is. Sorry, how firm your faith in Christ is. The prayer and desire of Paul is for this simple reason so that we, as the people of God, might be established, steadfast, and secure in our relationship with Jesus Christ as a church. The issue that faced the Colossian church was that uh, people, false teachers, under the guise of qualifications, under the guise of age, under the guise of traditions, uh, even under the guise of authority, positions of authority, were creeping into the church and seeking to gain control by questioning the authority and position of Jesus Christ. So Paul combats this by looking and putting Jesus in his rightful place, by looking at, at, at the church 
in his rightful place in connection to the Lord Jesus and looking how we ought to live in light of who he is. R. Kent Hughes observes that uh, of the whole letter of Colossians, that this is the most personal part of the letter. But he exercises this concern for the church and, and, and fights for them in order for them to meet the goal of a deep growing knowledge of Christ and his will is of the greatest importance to the spiritual lives of Christians. I'm going to read that again because I didn't do that properly. So that the church might achieve a deep growing knowledge of Christ and his will as that is the greatest importance to the spiritual lives of Christians. This, this stresses to me the importance of spending time in his word, the importance of, of studying, of, of meditating upon the scriptures, because it's within the pages of scripture we can hear and confirm the voice of God and not be fooled by arguments or by reasonings that sound good or sound right, but are actually incorrect biblically. Keith Henderson, the principal of my Bible college, when he took us for one of our classes, actually did that. He, he gave us 10 arguments that sounded very biblical, but were actually quite heretical. They were the furthest from the truth, and there were arguments that sort of roamed around. I mean, there are some that are obvious, you know, you know God helps those who help themselves. That's not biblical at all. Uh, but there were other similar and subtle things that came forward as well. But the best, the best combatant to counterfeit teaching is by knowing the genuine teaching and the genuine truth of God's word. Because you know God's word is not given for any private interpretation. You know God's word is given there that under the spirit of God will lead you and guide you into all truth. And you see this. You see this is because Paul makes this connection in the passage. He says, he says that there's a connection between their firm faith in Christ was in direct connection with discipline. He actually, he actually says that. If you go back to the passage, he goes, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. There's a direct connection between discipline and the firmness of one's foundation. Discipline within the word of God and knowing who God is and having the word of God within your heart. And you have to be disciplined to do that. Anybody, anybody, in all honesty, anybody that wants to succeed in, in any area, really, there has to be an element of discipline. If you read um, Spiritual Leadership by uh, J. Oswald Sanders, which I'd encourage you to do, he makes mention of this. He makes mention of this, how the number one violinist in the world was, she called, disciplined neglect. How'd you get so good? She said, disciplined neglect. She would, she would do away with things that would interfere with her trying to achieve the goal. Now, if our goal is to be conformed to the image of his son. If our goal is to look unto Jesus, the author and finish for our faith, if our goal is, is to be holy as he is holy, then that would involve on our part some disciplined neglect. Disciplined neglect of laying aside those things that would hinder or would prevent me from deepening my relationship with Jesus Christ. Disciplined neglect. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that, that I, I need to definitely take on board myself because if not, then... Once again, Joel's with Sanders, discipline, without this, without this element, all other gifts remain as dwarves. Joel's with Sanders said that, which means that we would be perpetually babes in Christ, perpetually biblically ignorant, perpetually immature. And discipline 
enables us to, to nurture and grow in that which we find truly valuable and truly worthwhile. And what more worthwhile thing is there than our relationship with Jesus? So, so how or what can, what can we do? What can we do regarding these aspects? What can we do to contend for the goal and be established in him? Well, three things in closing. Three things. One, know who you are and who you're fighting for. Know who you are. Know who you are in Christ. Know that, that he, he has brought you out of darkness into light. Know that he has redeemed you. Know that he has saved you from, from sin and, and from judgment and, and from death. So know who you are. Know who you're fighting for. Know who's on your side and whose side you're on. Know, know who's there fighting with you. Who's alongside for the fight? Our fellow soldiers, our fellow laborers, the church, my brother and my sister who are there alongside me on, on our knees as we seek him in prayer, which reminds me, the first Wednesday of the month, we have our church prayer meeting. I would encourage you to come and attend. We'll be doing a Zoom meeting and Jono or Caress will probably send out a link for the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. But it's where we as brothers and sisters can contend for each other, contend for the church, contend for the lost, contend for the purposes of God, contend for the overcoming of what's going on in the world now on our knees. And we can do that together. So 8 p.m. Wednesday night, come along to the prayer meeting where we contend. So know who and what you're fighting for. Know who and what you have on your side. Know who and what is there alongside you and beside you in the battle. That's the first thing we can do. Second thing we can do, know where you're going. Know where you're going. Know what you're aiming for and know how you're going to get there. Know where you're going. Know, know that you're pressing toward the mark for the, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Know, know that you're looking unto Jesus the, the author and perfecter of our faith. Know, know where you're going. Know how you're going to get there. That by the power of God and, and through His Spirit, as you yield, as you yield to Him, as you yield to Him as servants and slaves of righteousness. Know, let that, I mean, yeah, it's great. Know who you are, but know where you're going and know how you're going to get there. And thirdly, know in whom you stand. Know upon whom you stand and know upon the promises on which you stand. In other words, know Jesus Christ. Know on whom you stand. It, it is him that is the foundation that no other man can lay that has been laid. It, it is him where no other name, it, where, it, in no other name where salvation can be found. That, it, that it's him that the word of God directs us to, that the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we can do. That's, that's our homework. That's our homework. How these apply to us now. Whether you're Uncle Mike and Auntie Ginny. How you going, guys? Whether, whether, whether you're Jono and Caris, whether you're, you're Danny and Jenny with an I. No, this is what you guys, in your context, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a, a student, whether you're a child, Know how each of these things of contending, of contending to, for, the, for the goal and to be established in him, know how that will look in your life right now and how that can be exercised in your life, how that can be lived out. That's your homework. That's my homework. 
And I would encourage you, I would encourage you to seriously consider that and, and make it personal because that's what God's teaching you and what God's teaching us as a church. So with that, uh, I'm going to close with a word of prayer. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. We have our Zoom meeting after this as well. I would encourage you just to come along and fellowship. We have Bible trivia. So we have Bible trivia. Uh, Ten questions. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, as well, but I'm looking forward to catching up with you guys just to see how you're going. So join me in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, so much for the concern that is demonstrated to us through the Apostle Paul. And we thank you so much that we have the privilege to contend for each other, to fight on each other's behalf, for each other's benefit, for each other's welfare. Thank you that we are not limited in our homes and the way we can best benefit one another because of this wonderful privilege of prayer and the opportunity to, to contact people, whether it be in, in word, whether it be a phone call, whatever it might be. I pray, Father, you will burden our hearts to contend for each other and take that, that privilege so seriously. I also thank you, Lord, that we are given a direction, that we are pressing towards you, given a direction to know the fullness and the riches that are found in you and in you alone. Um, help us to truly understand, to be encouraged in heart and to be united in love as you reveal to us the mystery of God that is the person of Christ. And lastly, that we might be established and steadfast, not swayed by fine arguments, but rather, Lord, secure in the knowledge of who you are because we know who you are and we recognize your voice. We ask for you to dismiss us now as we go from here. And Father, you might continue to burden our hearts as we live each day for you and by the power of your spirit. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. Unto you be glory in the church, both now and until the end of the age. Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. See you next week. See you at the Zoom meeting.